Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. So on today's episode, we have on another special guest. His name is Siri Ibrahim, and he is the founder of Financial Assets Protection. Thank you for coming to the show. Hey, come on. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, yeah likewise. So- yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so just to go ahead, that was kind of awkward. I'm not going to lie. But anyway, uh, just to go ahead and hop into the conversation, for the people who aren't familiar with your work and what you do, could you give them a little bit more background information? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised mm-hmm. here. And I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. So we're a financial services firm. We do like financial coaching, financial planning, all types of kind of financial problem solving for clients in all 50 states. And we also have a show called Thinking Like a Bank. That's our podcast name. And the show is just like how it sounds, Thinking Like a Bank. It's meant to show people how to think like a bank by like applying the same strategies and principles that banks use so people could apply them and then hopefully find more financial freedom in their lives. Hey, wonderful. Um, There are a lot of people out there that need this type of advice. And so it's great that you're kind of filling that role to give people the advice they need to set themselves up for success. And uh, yeah, one question I have for you is, what yeah. would you say was the catalyst that led to you getting into this field? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always kind of been like curious about like economics and money. My favorite class was like in high school. It was like a very basic like economics class. We learned mm-hmm. how to like write checks and like what is interest on a mortgage and things like that. And I really kind of, I, I, I like that from, I like that subject matter. I like to talk about that. And then like when I was like 18, 19 years old, I was like really involved in the like, credit. I like loved the idea of like building up credit. And I had like three credit cards when I was 18. This is before um, they passed a law. I think they passed a law in like 2009 saying that um, credit card companies could no longer issue credit cards to people under the age of 21 or something like that. It was because there was a lot of debt, which is not, there's, there's no surprise there. So I was always very curious about like how debt works and money and things like that. I wanted to make a career out of it. So I got my MBA. Um, it, my MBA kind of contributed a little bit to my financial knowledge, maybe like five or 10%. The rest of it came from like working with actual people and going through actual like case studies and things like that. That was a far majority of where my experience came in. But really like the turning point was like, I was doing a lot of insurance consulting and Medicare consulting. And one client was like, her mom was in a nursing home paying like $12,000 a month. And I forgot what the solution was, but we went through and I was like, you know, what if you um, just did this plan instead. And, and it saved her like $5,000 a year or something like that. And I, and I felt like a financial advisor then I felt like it wasn't just selling a product. It was more of like actually solving a problem. So that's kind of what turned me to do it in full time to become like a full-time financial problem solver for, for, for people. Um, and that's what led to the company financial asset protection. And the reason why we call it financial asset protection is because some of the strategies we, we help our clients with also involve asset protection from the standpoint of protecting from market conditions, market risks, and also like from creditor protections. And we have some solutions that help with that as well. Did you say she was paying $12,000 a month? Yeah, that's actually the average cost in nursing home care as of today is like $10,000 a month. So yeah, so it's, it's really expensive nursing home care. There's only really two ways to overcome that cost. Um, one way is through having a long-term care insurance policy, which is really expensive. Um, that's one option. And the second option is, is that you get on Medicaid. So it's really, so that's, that's a big concern for people. Long-term care is a huge burden, a huge, um, like concern for people. Jesus, man. I was thinking, maybe I didn't hear him correctly, but you said $12,000 a month. Yeah. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. 
Yep. But, you know, I, I guess for a lot of those people, they really don't have a choice but to have somebody to take care of their loved ones. And so they can charge really whatever they want because exactly, it seems yeah. extremely exorbitant. This, this seems just completely over the top. Yeah. And a lot of people think that like it's a, it's an option. Usually it's not an option. Usually you need people go to nursing homes because they need 24 hour care. Like they can't do that in their regular house. They need mm-hmm. to go, they need to be like under the supervision of like registered nurses and things like that. So, so that's kind of like, it's, it's unfortunate. And typically the, the appreciate the inflation for nursing homes is about 6%, like twice the average for like other things. Like usually inflation is 3%. Nowadays, it's a little bit higher just because of the, the period you're in. And you know this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's typically um, uh, 6% inflation every year. So it's a very like um, the cost not only right now is expensive, but the cost will double in the next uh, 12 years, next 12 years, the cost will double of nursing home care. Man, unbelievable. It's really crazy to think about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing your background and everything and how you got into it. And so uh, I can see just from the experience that you had and kind of seeing how you had knowledge that was valuable to people, how uh, you kind of saw a place where you could fit in. And I can say I can definitely relate to that with this type of stuff, getting into different uh, scenarios where let's say maybe things that I had had to learn the hard way or maybe the easy way and uh, being able to implement those things for myself, seeing how I could also help other people go on their path as well with that same knowledge was one of the things that got me into improvement, doing the life coaching on on the side and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so one more question I have for you is uh, how long have you been doing your work? Yeah. So overall, I've been in financial services and the insurance sector for about going on to year seven now. So yeah. Um, and I worked for different companies like Blue Cross and Allstate and a couple other insurance companies. I was a, well, I was a mixture of a consultant and uh, self and self-employed, like the owner of the company, both back and forth mixed, mixed together. Okay. I see. So you're doing consulting work. Yeah. So- yeah, definitely. Got you, got you. And so you mentioned some uh, some pretty big companies like Blue Cross, as well as uh, you said Allstate too, right? Yeah, yeah. So were you being kind of like you could say you were somewhat of an insider since you were a consultant for these people? What would you say are some of like the hidden secrets in those businesses that people don't know about? Yeah, hidden secrets. Okay, let's see. Um, hmm. Where do I start? Okay, so um, they have like underwriting guidelines, right? So they're not trying to insure everybody. They have like a specific. Like, for example, with like Allstate, they do so many things where it's like credit limits and people don't think that credit has anything to do with their insurance, but it does. It's part of an insurance score, IS score. So your insurance score is like bundled up with your like um, your credit history, your accident report, your um, other factors. And they have all that in algorithms. So that way they can determine like how good a client will be and the, the likelihood of them getting into a, uh, an accident or a claim or even any claim for that matter. Like, for example, there's a correlation between like people who don't pay their bills and are likely to like um, burn their houses down or something crazy like that. Like there's like, they have like actuarial data to like back up people's behavior, especially with the things they own and their payment history for like their credit cards or things like that. So it's really interesting how these insurance companies think and how they're able to take risks, right? Like they'll insure a hundred people and they'll say this year or next year, you know, three or four out of these hundred people will get into an accident or have some problem in their house, but they won't know which ones they are. Right. But they know, statistically speaking, that's how they're, what's going to happen. And they're able to budget around that. They're, they're able to hire and, and do different things based off of their data pool. So it's, I think it's really crazy how much insurance companies know about people. I think another insider thing about insurance companies that's really crazy is, 
if you took all the insurance companies in the US and like pulled all their capital together, it would be greater than all of the oil companies and banks in the world, uh, all their cash in the world. So insurance companies have the most cash in the world um, in their reserve. So like they're, they're not, it's not leverage. It's not borrowed money. It's not like raised capital. It's like in their uh, actual reserves. So they have a lot of control over um, jobs and things like that. Like, I think there's like 20% of Americans work for some insurance company or some form of insurance, like either claims or agents or advisors, some way in fashion, um, the insurance companies hire a lot of people, which is why um, they typically are like, uh, they get a lot of like tax breaks and things like that. But that's kind of the insider way of like insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, yeah, they have to be getting some sort of tax breaks to just keep all that money sitting there because a lot of other companies, probably from what you know, they leverage uh, their money in like, or they like leverage debt, you could say, so that way they yeah. can avoid some of those taxes. But if they're just sitting on all their money and they're not spending any of it, then I would think that must kill them with taxes. But I mean, if they have special tax breaks for them, then that makes sense. Yeah, they typically their money is sitting in like bonds and other assets. Typically oh, okay. assets, yeah, that defer uh, growth and things like that. Yeah, it's and they also have just just cash, you know. So it's it's pretty it's really interesting. You know, kind of like thinking about it, comparing it to other industries, other markets, other places. It's it's significant how like they are. It's, I, in my opinion, I sound like a nerd, but it's really interesting actually. I, th- I think it's pretty cool. Hmm. Okay, and uh, something that that kind of reminded me of when you were talking about the insurance companies yeah. and like how they. Uh, use your credit to come up with the rates. I don't know if you've seen this old movie with uh, Ben Stiller. I'm blanking on the name, but I think he was like an insurance adjuster and every single thing he did, he could like, you know, find out like the different percentages of like risk and, or something like that. I think it was Ben Stiller. Um, I remember, I think Fight Club, the guy in that in that movie, he he did that. For, he was like an actuary. He did something like that where he calculated like insurance uh-huh. risks. Um, I, it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but I don't know with Ben Stiller. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's a really old movie. I figured, yeah, I'd ask maybe if you had remembered it, but uh, that's the first thing that came to mind when you're kind of talking about that. But uh, yeah, but to move on, though, uh, you know, m- the main purpose of the show is to gear the advice towards young men, helping young men to be able to get the advice they need to be successful in whatever as- um, I mean, I guess aspect of their life. And uh, a yeah. question I would ask you. Is just based on your experience, what would you say are some of the main things that maybe your younger clients, the young guys, uh, might struggle with? Yeah, um, I think people struggle, especially younger people, with the idea of like small improvements having a big effect. Mm-hmm. And and I was like that too. So I, I think a lot of people, I mean, in general, like it's hard to see improvements from like small adjustments, but I think that those are where you get the biggest improvements from. So like saving like 300 or $400 a month. Like you would think like, all right, that's not really going to yield. It's not really going to do much. I might as well like spend that money or do something else with that money. But the reality is like your older self will thank you, right? Whatever you do now, that's good. Like your older self will thank you. And it, it can be hard for people to imagine that older person of them. It's almost like a different person. It's almost like that person doesn't really matter. The older version of yourself. But um, that's something I see with younger people is they think the small adjustments and the small improvements that they do don't really compound. Uh, and in fact, they do actually compound and could solve some future problems. Okay. So maybe an example of that is uh, contributing to your 401k or your Roth, right? Because yeah, yeah, at least from yeah. who I've talked to, like there are a few guys I know that don't have any of their check go towards that because they don't think that's going to amount to much, you know, for how long they're working at the company so far. They're thinking, okay, I'll start doing it when I'm, let's say 30 or something like that. But they don't realize how big of an impact that's going to have on their retirement. And just wait sitting out for eight years, right? Not putting any yeah. of that money towards their uh 
the retirement fund. Exactly. Yeah. Because we, we live in like this instantly gratifying period, right? Where it's like everything we do has to have like an immediate uh, benefit. If it doesn't, it's not really a top priority. Like we're, we're mm-hmm. working on things that are like an instantly benefit, benefit us. So to put money away and like wait like 20 or 30 years to like touch it, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, it's, um, it's, it's difficult to, to do that. So, but there are certain things that I think people can apply to help them build the discipline and do things like having like a four savings um, program or, or structure is very helpful. Instead of you deciding like, all right, you know what, I'll, I'll just, I'll just save the X amount of money. If you can have it like automated where it's like two or 300 or $400 a month or whatever the case is automatically goes into a separate account, like every month on like the 15th of every month or whatever you want to set it up. I think you'll be kind of like forced to set that forced to start saving. So, which leads into a whole new philosophy of like, maybe it's sometimes in life, like it's, it's good to have these structures where things are kind of in a sense outside of your control, but for Mm -hmm. your benefit, you know what I mean? Like creating these obstacles. Like, for example, I, I do my, a lot of my work, especially like my administrative work and like things that when I read, I go to Starbucks, right. Um, I live by a Starbucks that's two minutes away. And I live by a Starbucks that's 20 minutes away. It's also right next to the gym I go to. And, you know, no surprise, I get really tired sometimes in the evening and, and I don't want to go to the gym, you know? So what I do is I'll, I'll drive 20 minutes out of the way to go to the Starbucks that's right next door to the gym. This way I, I already committed, I already put in the time to drive to the further Starbucks. So now I have to go to the gym. I'm not going to drive all the way pretty much to the practically to the gym and not go there. So I think you start when you when you start applying these strategies, you start to like get like way more out of life. When you almost take away your decision out of it, it's for your benefit, right? I'm going to the gym for my benefit. It's not for anybody else's benefit, but at the same time, it's almost like I forced my I took away the option. In other words, so right. sometimes taking away that option from you is a good thing actually. And if you can figure out how to do that in like more areas of your life, you could definitely improve more things. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from and you talked about people not saving up for like when they got older. And one yeah. thing I'll say that keeps me in a good mindset about that, making sure I'm smart with my money is whenever you go to like Walmart or a place like that, where you have the old people that are the greeters, yeah, yeah. it really makes me think like, I do not want to have to do this because I didn't want to put away, let's say what, like 2% of my check when I was in my twenties. And so that's yeah. one of those like things you could say as a reminder of, of how important it is to do that stuff at a young age. And then um, the other thing I was going to say is something that's kind of similar to what you were talking about, setting mm-hmm. things up to make it harder for yourself to not do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I know yeah. something that's kind of worked for me, just like with my regular day-to-day spending is mm-hmm. transferring like a certain budgeted amount, right? To a separate card yeah, that yeah. doesn't have like overdraft or anything. It's just like a flat amount that you put into it. So that yeah. way, if I run out of money on that card, it's just out. I can't spend anymore. And that makes me somewhat disciplined, you could say, on what I'm going to be buying throughout the uh the two weeks until my next paycheck. So I'm not just blowing through my money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you can put that money to work and like put it somewhere else. Yeah. I think that's key. It definitely makes a big difference. All right. All right. And so as far as actual steps that guys can take to set themselves up for success, we kind of talked about that a little bit, of course, the saving and all that, but what would you say are some other things that guys that might be, let's say a little bit younger to where they aren't getting like the, uh, the retirement fund and all that with their job, let's say like the college guys, what are some financial yeah. tips you give them to get started setting themselves up for success? Yeah. So um, I, I guess like I have a kind of like steps, like step one is like get very familiar with like your financial situation, like mm-hmm. understand how much you have like an assets and savings, and then how much you also make and how frequently you make that money, especially if you're self-employed, it can be very difficult to like track all of that. 
So kind of get a good grip on like how often you're making money. And then also like your debt, like credit card, number one, number two, student loans, whatever debt you have. And then like, like you, it's not necessarily like you have to solve all the debt and then increase income. Like uh, you kind of strategize it and like lay it all out. And then step two would be like, determine your goals. Not like, what are your goals? Is your goal to get completely out of debt? For some people, that's not always the case. For some people, they would rather save before they pay down some debt. For other people, they need a debt out as, as soon as possible. I think it's good to, this is where step one comes in is like, you want to observe it and like analyze it and kind of look at it as like, what's what's pressing, right? What hurts right now that kind of needs to be addressed? Um, and then step two, like you, you you choose the goals you want that are relevant to yourself, not just things that you should do. Because if I say that, right, if I say you should do this or you should do that, it implies that there's some sort of like a, a belief system or like structure that you have to follow. And with financial literacy and financial planning, there really, there, there's no such thing as like a blueprint that everybody could follow and apply to get to financial success. There really isn't. It has to be unique to yourself. You have core values, beliefs that you believe in. And, and then the money is just a tool to help you get to other things you want in life. So um, determine what those are, like get really comfortable making them as unique as possible to yourself, even link them to certain things. Like, for example, if I said like home ownership is really important to me because I grew up never, you know, my family never owned a home. You know, that would be like an example of like home, home ownership is in that situation is more than just a thing you own. Um, it's more of, it's a, it's, it's a way of changing generational, you know, poverty or things like that. So you want to go deep into these things. So that way you're choosing like the most unique things that are, that are going to help you. And like step three, like work with professionals, right? Like work with like a financial coach or somebody who can like hold you accountable, who could guide you in a certain direction. Somebody who's done this for other clients and for themselves, who have like a track record of doing that, that helps a lot, right? It's the same thing as like, if you wanted to get really good at a sport or, 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 or compete, you would hire a coach. That's one of the first things you would do is you would hire a coach to help you, train you, hold you accountable and somebody you can kind of like mimic and, and learn from. So same thing with financial planning, right? Is that you want to work with people who have done it and it helps. I think there's a big difference between people who try to do everything on their own and people who do get that extra support. Okay, so just to recap, to make sure that I yeah. got all the, all the steps. So the first one, you talked about making sure you knew what was coming in, what was going out. So really to sum it up, get on Truebill. That's what I use. And it's pretty helpful for that. Uh, It shows you all your like income as well as like your different expenses and the percentages. So that can definitely help when it comes to like setting up a budget. And then I think second one that you gave was defining what your goal is after you find out what what, uh, your income is, whether it's saving or paying off debt or let's say uh, creating more income, just having a defined goal after that. And I think the third thing that you said was to the to attach a strong why to these uh, goals that you have, because if you have a strong why behind it, it's much more likely, I think, that you would achieve it. So like, let's say if the goal was just to save money, if you just tell yourself, oh, I'm just saving money just to do it, not yeah. a very strong why. But like you said, if you're trying to buy a house, because let's say when you grew up, you lived in an apartment with your parents your whole life because they yeah. never did, uh, I guess, saved up the money to be able to yes. put a down payment on a house or anything. That's a much stronger reason to want to do yes. it as opposed to just doing it because it sounds like the right thing to do. And then last exactly. but not least is not being afraid to ask for help, uh, meaning yes. get a coach, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, precisely. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you know, they're all really important in their own ways. 
And, you know, we help, for example, I, every day I do something called a personal financial tracker. It's where I take out an Excel sheet and I put in like, for example, I already have a like template already built out and I, and I go to my online banks and I open it up and I just plug each one in like, what's the checking for today? What's the saving? And it's kind of a manual process. It takes me like seven minutes to do five to seven minutes to do every day. And I just plug in like checking, saving, you know, how much I earned that day, how much that is. And then it gives me an idea of to know like where my financial situation is and where I want to go. But like you said, there's so many apps nowadays that you could just automate. You can automate this like Truebill, um, YNAB, uh, QuickBooks, and other things like that, that that completely automate all this for you and can show you. So yeah, whether you create your own Excel sheet or your own template or your own system, or you use a, like a third-party system, that's a really good way of tracking your finances and, and getting to know. And I think to go further, I think a lot of people don't do that because they're intimidated by like numbers and like planning and things like that. Most people don't do like business planning. It's intimidating. Right. But I think that way to overcome that is just to start, like just do anything, right? Just take out, literally make it as basic as you can. And then add on to that every day, add on to it and keep trying. And it gets to the point where eventually you have, like you write your own like program, you know, from how you track yourself, how much you track yourself. So um, don't be intimidated by things like if you don't know the answer to something right away, you don't know how to forecast, you don't know how to do all those things. A, lo don't, a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, even people in finance don't know how to do that stuff for themselves personally. So just do it at a very, very basic level, like how much you're checking, how much I have in my checking, how much I have in my savings, how much I earned, like very simple. And then you add on to it as you go. Okay, great. Okay. So I think that's a great point that you just brought up about people being afraid of looking at the numbers themselves. And so, like you said before, the tools like Truebill, QuickBooks, and all that can really yeah. do a lot of that work for them if they don't want to do it manually. And it actually makes the stuff pretty simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's you know so many different ways to track things. And I think it's just like really important just to do it. Like just do it and then build on it from there. Yeah, definitely. And so one question that I will ask you is what would you say is the main thing that guys, let's say like 18 to 24 do? that sets them miles and miles back behind where they could be like one financial mistake that you notice that's pretty common that does that. Yeah. One financial mistake, uh, chasing what other people do, like doing things like copying other people. I think that that's mm -hmm. a big financial problem, especially with like cryptocurrency and like different stocks and things like that and other options. I think that that's very problematic. Like people, you never, you never want to do what everybody else is doing typically. Like you don't want to jump on a bandwagon, a financial bandwagon. You want to stick to first, like, you know, back to the steps, right? Like you identify your financial situation, you identify where you want to go, like where, what's unique to you, what's important to you. And then you have help getting there. And when things come your way, when opportunities come your way that deviate or like take you away from that, you want to stay away from that, right? You want to figure out a system, have a system in place that ought to like um, exclude those opportunities. So that way you can stay focused on, you know, what you're currently doing and what you're currently building. So I, I, that's the biggest mistake I see is people jumping on other opportunities because it appears to be more appealing than the, than what they're currently doing. And I think mm -hmm. it's really important. Like when we think of the word decide, right. The word decide comes from Latin and it actually means to cut out. So when we decide to do something, we're actually cutting out other things. And the same is true with money. When we have these financial plans, we're, we're deciding to cut out other opportunities and, on, and only stick to the things that are within our scope. So I like that you brought this up because, of course, during the pandemic, that was a really big thing with yeah. uh, the stock market pretty much crashing and then starting to come back up and the gains that people are getting from that stuff with crypto. And then you know, even myself, when like some of the oil and gas stocks are coming back up yeah. pretty rapidly after COVID, a lot of people that weren't really familiar with investing in general, you know, and especially yeah. in crypto, we're trying to get into it because they saw everybody else doing it and heard about all these extreme gains that people were getting. Right. And so 
Right. Something I like to, uh, I guess, just to play devil's advocate to kind of poke at is so you kind of mentioned staying away from that stuff. And so where would the room be to, let's say, learn it if that's something that they want to eventually try? Yeah, so exactly. If they want to do that, if they wanted to use like stocks and, and mutual funds and other apps and cryptocurrency and things like that to achieve their financial goals, then I think that they should focus on those, but not, for example, have a financial plan already in place. Like, let's say you want to get into real estate investing and then you're aiming for like, you know, I'm going to make 10% on my money in the future or whatever. And then somebody comes and says, yeah, I just made, you know, uh, five times my money in cryptocurrency. And then you go, oh, you know, I'm just going to leave this real estate plan to go do crypto. I think that would be irrational. But if you oh, want okay, to focus on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's about changing. That's the, that's the problem I have is the changing aspect is like, but sometimes you have to pivot, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. things are, aren't working. So I guess it's like, this is where the, the coach comes in. The financial coach comes in is like, you might be doing something and it's not working and you need to pivot. That's also perfectly fine too. Um, but I think that you change because you want to change because it's, it's, it's for your best benefit. Not because it's a, it, it just looked really appealing in that moment to change. Okay. So thank you for clarifying what you're saying pretty much is if you're going to make a change, make a change for a specific reason, not because something else looks good and sounds good. Right. And yeah, if exactly. You, <laughs> and if you do try to do something else, just make sure that it's extracurricular to where it's not taking away from what the main plan is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like investment and investing and growing money is not a, it's not a commodity. It's not something that like is open to, I mean, it's not something that like anybody could just like, you see it and it looks really nice to everybody and everybody joins and everybody makes a lot of money. That's typically not how it works, right? That's, you know, it's, it's more of you understand something, you get in with the right opportunities there and you understand it. That's more important. And you're willing, and there's also a distinction between investing and saving your money, right? Saving typically means that like there is no risk involved. Typically for the most part, there's no risk involved, very moderate growth. And then investing is that you can potentially lose all of it uh, in exchange for higher gains. So differentiate those and, and kind of use those to, to connect with your goals and not just like which one's better. Cause a lot of people will have that mentality where it's like, this is going to give me 8%, but this is going to give me 10%. This is going to be better. But what about the risk involved? Which one is, which one is potentially higher risk? What are the tax? What's the tax liability on these? Which one potentially has more taxes? It's going to be probably different. Um, is it going to align with your goals and the things you want to do? So those are the more urgent, important questions to ask yourself rather than just one factor that looks more appealing to other other things or other people. Okay, I see. And you talked about tax and all that. And for some reason, yeah. real estate popped into my mind because, of course, if you're owning properties and you're paying yeah. property tax, that can be pretty costly. But then again, on the other hand, I've heard a lot of people say that real estate is the best way for you to build wealth or even generational wealth, if that's what you want. And I'd like to know your stance on that. Yeah. So about the real estate tax part, your tenants, you know, could pay for that, right? The tenants mm-hmm. could pay for that. Uh, that that could take that aspect out. And then real estate has a lot of tax advantages, like not real estate tax, not property taxes, but as far as income taxes, it has a mm-hmm. lot of pro- um, uh, tax advantages. Like you can claim depreciation, other expenses. If you're a real estate professional, according to like from a tax perspective, you could even deduct the depreciation and other expenses against like your active income. If you're involved in a trade that's a real estate trade or against your passive income. So it's really important to build wealth, but also reduce your tax liability too, because it's counterintuitive to make more money and pay more in taxes. So this is where real estate comes in. You can make more money in real, technically speaking, you can make more money in real estate by paying less taxes. Okay. And so breaking it down that way, I'm sure that makes it very simple and easy to understand for everybody that's listening. And I'm glad that you did. And um, so pretty much what I'm picturing you saying is that once you get to the point where you're making income, let's say a business or whatever, if you leverage real estate with that as well, you can make it to where you can maximize what you're keeping. 
Yeah, exactly. And it, and it has a compounding effect. Like the more real estate you own, the more taxes you save. And the more taxes you save, the more you have to deploy for real estate, which could buy you more real estate, which could save you more taxes and so on. So it has this compo- compounding effect. And I think that's what you kind of want to look into. You want to look into a way where like $1 could do more than one thing like over and over again for you. Um, that's a good, and real estate has that, it has that key function, right? That key component. Okay, great. And um, one question I like to ask you, yeah. um, I'm sure you're familiar with a uh, real estate investment trust. Do you think that that's a really good alternative maybe for, for younger guys that might not want to get into like the full real estate game? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. The only thing with, with REITs are um, real estate investment trusts is that I don't think that you can, I'm not sure I have to check, double check this, but I don't think you can claim depreciation from a REIT. Uh-huh. Um, so that so that's going to be difficult to offset some of the income. But other than that, I think it's really important also to just take action, like do these things, get involved in different investments. Overall, I think that a real estate investment trust is probably going to be less risky than investing in stocks or in, in, in equities. But I think that investing in um, REITs is going to be, it'll, it'll give you a good eye opener to real estate because some people won't have, right? They won't have like, you know, $100,000 for a down payment on a real estate property, but they'll have like ten or fifteen thousand dollars in the bank, yeah, I, I think that the best thing you can gain from that is investment knowledge, like the practice of doing different things. And nowadays, it's so easy with all the fintech software out there. How you can invest in like peer-to-peer lending, you can invest in small business bonds, and with through Robinhood, you can invest in stocks and different things like that. There's so many, there's so much access nowadays to investing in different areas. Just make sure that aligns with your program that you set up for yourself, right? Like your goals and where you want to go, and it, and it fits in with it. It all goes together. And it's like a prescription. It's relevant to you and it, it aligns really well with your plan. All right, then. And one more question I'll ask you about yeah, the financial yeah. stuff is uh, for those guys that are listening right now, where let's say they're in a good spot, they're in a good spot financially, they're saving money, they're being responsible, but they don't really know what else to do with their money. What would you say would be like a good starting point for them as far as like leveraging their income to try and you know gain through investments, whether it's real estate, stocks or whatever? What do you think that they should start with? Yeah, I think that they should start, right? Whatever, like it's going to be really difficult just to say ever everybody go do this one thing or you know do that. But I think that like for example, like Fundrise, right? It's a real estate mm-hmm. platform you can invest on. Um, that would be a good place to start because you know you can you don't need a huge amount of money to start. Um, if you just go if you Google like a peer to peer lending, I've heard I've heard mixed things about peer to peer lending. That's where like you loan you go through an app and then you loan money through some to, through other people. You're not actually meeting these people, but you're just essentially investing into the software. And then the software like connects you to people, loans out money, and then you would, you can get like cash flow from that. I think just doing small things like that to get in the habit because the experience you get from these investments and the results you get will lead the next steps for you. It's not like the initial outcome is going to lead all your steps. You know, you learn from the investments you do. You learn mm-hmm. from them. And that's really important. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, he mentions that, you know, um, it's... When you invest in deals, it's not just the ROI you're getting out of it. It's the investment knowledge you're getting out of it. You're learning how investments work. You're learning how interest rates work. You're learning how people react to money, the psychology of money. Those are far more, the abstract parts are far more greater than the actual money that you get back, you know, because then you can apply those skills to different areas and in different investments. So it's all about the skills. It's all about the knowledge you have about money and the behavior you, you have with money. I think that's a great way to look at it, actually, because when you brought up that point, when you said I wouldn't recommend that they get in anything specific, I was thinking, okay, let's let's see like what he settles on. And then when you talked about how the the knowledge is the thing that's most important, I can definitely see where you're coming from, because the thing is, 
even if like, let's say you just stay in like one area of it, just getting that exposure is going to make it to where you can make better opportunities for yourself in the future. And then you have somewhat of a base knowledge to where, let's say, if you try to get into other ways of investing, you at least kind of know what to expect instead of just going into whatever it is green. And so yeah. really, it could just come down to whatever it is you're most interested in, whether it happens to be crypto, because it's a popular yeah. thing, or stocks, if your friend tells you about that, or real estate, just find whichever one you gravitate towards and it kind of work from there. Is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. hundred percent. Precisely. Yeah. All right, then. Well, that pretty much wraps up all the, uh, I guess, the financial questions that I have for you. And a question I usually ask everybody that comes on the show, uh, it doesn't have to be related to anything that we talked about today. But um, what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, never take anything personally. That's the best advice I've been given, right? It's like whatever happens, like especially in the business world, especially as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur and dealing with people, like you're going to come across a lot of like um, emotionally challenging situations, like for yourself and with dealing with other people and employees and things like that. So like never take anything personally at all. At all. It's typically like most people's... Um, most people have their own battles, their own demons they have to take care of. So it's never, it's usually never about you really, you know, so never take anything personally. This sounds like something I read in the four agreements. I don't know if you've read that book too, but it no. just reminded me of that, but okay. Well, Hey, I appreciate that. And so that pretty much wraps up another episode of improvement. If you guys like the content, make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform that you listen to it on. And uh, if you'd also like to check out some more of the stuff, make sure to go to the website, which is improvementpodcast.com. But uh, once again, thanks for coming on to the show. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, then take care. You too.